listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Remember, remember being in first or second grade when you were asked the question, what do you want to be when you grow up? Remember that question? The odds are probably every one of you had an answer. And I'm thinking, why is that? Why did you have an answer of what you wanted to be when you grew up? You didn't need a job. You didn't have any bills to pay. You're still learning sentence structure. And yet the odds are you probably had an answer as to what you wanted to be when you grow up. And and I think it just reveals that in every one of us, the reason we have an answer is because we want to be a part of something significant. We want to be a part of something that's meaningful. We want to feel like that there's a purpose for our life that we're going to achieve. And when you're young in first or second grade, sky's the limit, right? I mean, what you could be when you grow up, we dream about that. We look forward to that. You're anticipating that. You've got an answer for that. And then life happens. And some of you are sitting here today, right here in your seat in this moment. And for you, you feel like you've messed it up. Failures, disappointments, wounds, hurts. It's stolen your confidence. It's it's robbed you of your hope. It's limited your, your expectations of what could be. And as you sit here today, if that same question was asked of you, you see your first and second grade self as incredibly optimistic, maybe naive. You could even be a little sarcastic or even a little bit of jaded after what's happened to you in life. And now you have doubts, insecurities, shame, regret. That could be what you're experiencing. You've just resigned yourself to believing that The fact is that your life doesn't really make that big of a difference in this world, that God has a purpose for some people, but he doesn't really have a a purpose for your life. That, That great stories, God kind of stories happen for other people, but it doesn't happen for you. And so you've just kind of emotionally and mentally, maybe even physically, you've just kind of taken yourself out of, out of play. You've just kind of stepped back and been like, man, I don't, I don't see how God is going to be. You're basically Antonio Brown. Now, maybe not everybody of you knows what I'm talking about, but maybe some of you saw it or you saw the aftermath of it on January 2nd. Antonio Brown, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they were playing the Jets. His team was down 24 to 10. Tom Brady's his quarterback. Offense is on the field. It's a crucial drive. They need to score. This is critical for their team. His coach wants to put him in the game, and he... He says something about a hurt ankle. He can't go in. There's, there's a, some disagreement. There's some type of confrontation there on the sideline. I don't know. But all we know is, is, is Antonio Brown, next thing you know, he's, he's with a teammate and he's mad and he's furious and he's taken off his shirt. He's taken off his pads. And the next thing you know, he's, he's running off the field. As he's running off the field, he's, he's waving up in the stands like, peace out, goodbye. Waving to all the fans there. See you later. This is him. And as he's running off the field, you can see his team in the background. The, the, the Bucks, his offense is on the field. There's a game to play. There's a game to win. And he takes himself off the field, out of the picture, and off the team. And everybody, every one of us who's watching that, we were like, are, are you crazy? What are you doing? 
I mean, even those of you who knew his past and how troubled it was and all the conflict he had with people and his past problems and all of that, even, even with all of that, you're like, why would you throw it all away? You have this opportunity. You've got this chance. You, they, they, this team wants to use you. Why would you throw it away? And to us, it just didn't make sense because it's easy for us to see it in someone else when it's on national TV and we're sitting in the comfort of our home watching it unfold. He's taking himself right out of the play, taking himself right off the, the field, taking himself off the team. What, what, what is he doing? And yet we do it all the time. We do the same thing emotionally, mentally, spiritually, even physically. We, we remove ourselves out of the play because we've allowed our hurts, our wounds, our mistakes, our failures from the past. We've allowed it to disqualify us from embracing God's purpose for our life. We too begin to think, man, I'm too far gone. I've, I've messed up. We think to ourselves, man, I've, I've blown the opportunity that God's given me. There's, there's, there's nothing I, I can do with this. And so for that reason, man, you, you, you remove yourself from allowing God to work in your life. And here's what I want you to know today. It's a mistake. It is a mistake to tie your purpose in life to your past life. That is a mistake. It is a mistake to assume you don't have a contribution to make and that your life won't make any difference. It's a mistake to think that God can't use your past mistakes and sins for his purposes. It's a mistake. And what I want us to look at today, and I want you to know today, is that regardless of your past, God can use you. He will use you. He wants to use you. In fact, he delights to use you, even in your brokenness. It is not an accident that you are breathing in this moment, right here, right now. You're alive because God has a purpose for you. He wants to use you. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. God wants to work in you and through you to fulfill his purpose, which means he's got a purpose for you. He wants to use you to do it. But the problem is, for many of us right here, right now, whatever situation you're in, you may not be believing it. You may not be fully embracing it. And what I want to do today is I want to demonstrate the truthfulness that God has a purpose for you through the life of Moses. I want us to look at this together today. Because I think the reason that every one of us wrestles with this at times, and we all do, we wrestle with God's purpose for our lives is because we're struggling and wrestling with the same things that Moses wrestled and he struggled with. The same things. Like in Numbers 12, verse 3, it says in that text, which some of you read, if you're doing a Bible engagement with us, going through the, through the Bible in a year, it said, now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. I don't believe he was always humble like that. I don't believe that was always the story. He became that. I think he became that. And one of the reasons for that is because Moses was hung up on himself. He was full of insecurities. Insecurity is not a sign of humility. It's a sign of pride. He was insecure. And we're going to see that in a moment. He wasn't looking to God. He was, he was looking to himself. So he wasn't always humble. Or you get in the New Testament, you read Acts chapter 7, verse 22. Moses was powerful in speech and action. Well, not really, not always. I mean, he became that. No doubt he became that. But it wasn't 
who he was in the beginning, which we'll see in a moment. He was focused on his own limitations. He was focused on his own inabilities, his lack of accomplishments, his own mistakes, his own circumstances, that, that he had a very difficult time seeing that God could use a person like him, that God could use him. He sold himself short. He was full of negative talk. I mean, this is Moses. And, and you can see it right here in the opening. Uh, if you've got your Bible and your device, I want you to open up to Exodus, Genesis Exodus. Go to the book of Exodus, second book of your Bible. And we're looking at chapters two, three, and four. And and we're going to be kind of flying through these chapters together today, where through Moses, you see a lot of yourself in this and realize that he was delivered for a purpose. God wanted to use him. He just struggled to see it. You know, last Sunday, we looked at uh, being delivered from your past. And and we talked about Moses' past. Uh, We looked at how Moses was born into a lot of trouble how um, he was born as a Hebrew slave. The midwives that delivered him had been told to kill him. They refused to do it because Pharaoh, who was oppressing the Israelites, was trying to weed out uh, their population. When he realized the midwives weren't killing these babies, he ordered all of his own people that anytime they saw a Hebrew baby, they were to, boy, they were to kill that boy. So Moses is born into an oppressive, dangerous, as a Hebrew slave, When his mom could hide him no longer, he's several months old. She puts him in a basket, puts him in the Nile River among the reeds into God's hands there. And there, when Pharaoh's daughter comes to bathe, she finds this baby in the basket. Her heart goes out with compassion for the baby. Miriam, his sister, who's watching from a distance, sees this and says, would you like for me to find a a wet nurse for you for the baby? She says, yes, and I'll pay her. I'll pay her to do it. And okay, so now Moses' mom is getting paid to nurse her own baby, which was awesome. And she loved it. And so she did that. He lives. He then spends the next 40 years of his life in the palace there in Egypt, a son of Pharaoh's daughter. When he's identifying with his own people, seeing their oppression, and Moses sees a slave master beating a Hebrew, an Israelite. And here's what we read in Exodus chapter 2, verse 12. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, He killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. It's premeditated. He looked this way. He looked that way. And thinking no one was watching, he killed the Egyptian, buried his body in the sand. I guess he looked left and right, but he didn't look up. The school of the Egyptians just didn't teach him that, that he should look to God to see what God was going to do because he was wanting to save one person. God was wanting to use him to deliver a nation Moses, in the moment, took things into his own hands. He kills him, buries him in the loose sand. You know, the book of Numbers tells us that our sins find us out. Luke chapter 12 says, what's, what's covered will be revealed, Jesus says. You can't hide your past in the sand. It will always come to the surface. And it does because in verses 13 through 14, we read the next day he went out. He saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? You thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. It really is our greatest fear that what we did in the past will become known in the future. What we did that we're trying to hide might come out into the open. We think it's the worst thing that can happen to us. And so we try to hide it. And yet it's the best thing that could happen to us. It doesn't look like it in the story, not yet, but it is. The best thing that happened for us is to, for it to come out into the open because then it sets us on a new path, a, a new direction. We can deal with it and ask for forgiveness from that and we can set forward in a, in a new way. It brings radical change to our life, even if it feels bad. 
And it did bring a lot of radical change because in verse 15 it says, when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh, went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Moses flees hundreds of miles away to get to Midian. He's on the run. He's going to the wilderness to a dry, barren, desert place. That's where he goes. And he comes to this well, and these girls are trying to to water the sheep of their father when some shepherds come and are driving them off. And Moses comes to their defense, and they end up taking him back to meet their father. Their father gives Zipporah to Moses to marry. He has a son. I mean, he's now got a mailbox in Midian. And he's, he's watching sheep he doesn't even own. He's living with his in-laws in this desert place, in this, this period of desert, barren land that he's living in. That's where he's at. And it just doesn't look like getting caught served him very well. But it's going to be crucial to his growth. It's crucial. Because we read this next in Exodus 2. And as Ron comes, I, I, I want us to, to look at this verse on the screen where it says this. During that long period, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. How long is that period? Well, Acts chapter 7 tells us it was 40 years. During that long period of Midian, in the desert, in the wilderness, during that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery, cried out, and the cry for their help because of their slavery went up to God, and God heard That's what was going on in those 40 years of being a fugitive in Midian. When you're going through a long, dry, desert period of your life, it just doesn't look purposeful. It doesn't look purposeful, and yet it is. It doesn't feel purposeful, yet it is. And here's what happens. Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. There was nothing special about the bush. It was a scraggly bush like any other bush in the desert. That is not what got Moses' attention. And even a bush on fire, it did not get Moses' attention. He had seen bushes burn up in fire before. That was not so unique. That's not what grabbed his attention. It was that this bush was flaming. But it didn't behave in the way other bushes behaved. The fire was not doing what the fire normally does when it's consuming a bush, which is to consume it. To burn it up. This fire was going and it remained and it captured his attention. He's like, what's happening? And and the text tells us that Moses went to look. He went closer to look at the fire to see what was happening. And the bush wasn't burning up. And as he became near to the bush and God saw that it had his attention, God spoke. He spoke from the bush and he said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And he said, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And when he did in that moment, Moses shielded his eyes from the fire. He realized who he was talking to. This is God Almighty in fire, representing his presence was here among Moses. And he shielded his eyes. He told him, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. God Almighty is talking to you in this moment. 
And God told Moses, I've seen the misery of my people. I have heard their wailing and their cries under the oppression of the Egyptians and their taskmasters. And I have come to rescue them and to lead them into the land flowing with milk and honey. And when, when Moses hears this, he's thinking, good, finally, yes, this is what I wanted all along. And then God says to Moses, now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt into the land flowing with milk and honey. And Moses says, who am I? Here I am. To who am I? Moses is already disqualifying himself from the service of God. He's already disqualifying himself from the purposes of God. Who am I to do this? His past is on the forefront of his mind. His mistakes are on the forefront of mind. That's all he can think about. That's all that, that's consuming him is his past and his mistakes. And in this moment, Moses feels insecure, inferior, insufficient, insignificant. That's all that's flooding his mind. I, I, I can't do this. And so... The excuses start to fly. Exodus 3.13. Suppose I go and they ask me what your name is. What is your name? And God says, I am who I am. But God, what if they don't believe me? What, what, if, what if they don't believe that what I'm saying is true? God says, what's in your hand? It's a staff. Throw it on the ground. It becomes a snake. Pick it up again. God just starts showing him the miracles he's going to do through him. Moses. They will believe because I will give the miracles and the signs. I'll just use whatever you have. Moses, I'm with you. But God, I'm slow of speech and tongue. I, I, I can't speak. I will teach you what to say. I will give you my words. I will speak through you, Moses. But God, I, I can't. I can't do it. Send someone else. Send someone else. I'm, I'm not your man. I can't do this. And, and it, the text tells us that God's anger burned. It burned. As if the fire wasn't already hot enough. As if the, the flames weren't already consuming enough. His anger now is burning. Fire representing God's presence and his refining, but also his purifying. And, but also it can go out in anger as well. And They're saying, why is God so angry with Moses? Probably for the same reason that I think God gets angry at times with you. I think, first of all, because he's angry that we're stuck in the past. We can't mentally, emotionally, or physically move forward for his purpose for our life because we are stuck in the past. We're giving it too loud of a voice in our life. I think God's angry because we're, we're so focused on ourselves that we, we underestimate who he is. God's having to reveal to Moses who he is. And Moses, don't you know who I am and what I can do when I am with you, when I am for you? Do not underestimate me. Don't underestimate who I am. I will work through you. I want to work through you to bring about these good purposes. It's Josh Howard uh, with Central India Christian Mission tells the story of a, of a little two-and-a-half-year-old girl who's sitting on the lap of, of her father at the grand piano. And, and she's just using her, 
her two fingers and she was just pushing the keys there on the grand piano and just making these notes and this noise. And the father just watches as she plays these notes. It doesn't sound impressive, nothing coming forth that would make you say, wow, that's for sure. Until he, the concert pianist, began to play in the key that she was in, play, respond to the notes that she was playing, and he began to play and compose a piece that he was able to do through her, and she was just pushing the keys, but he was playing something beautiful and majestic and wonderful. He was using her. He was incorporating her. She was feeling in that moment like she was a part of something incredible and beautiful, but he was doing all the work. That's our God. That's what he's doing with us And he delights to do it. He delights doing it. It's always God with us. Every concern Moses raised, it was answered by God saying, I'm with you. I'll teach you. I will give you. I will perform for you. I will do these things. And so God is angry. And I think one of the reasons God is angry is because we dismiss ourselves from God's plan prematurely. We take ourselves out of the picture because of our own shortcomings. We dismiss it and it infuriates God. Because he's saying, do you know what I can do with little? Do you know what I can do with little? Do you know what I can do with you? I'm not giving up on you. Quit giving up on yourself. I'm not dismissing you. Quit dismissing yourself. I've got a purpose for you. Quit quit trying to run away from it. We get hung up on all these what ifs. What if? It's, what if becomes the monster that chokes out what God wants to do in our life. This is what God has to assure Moses and affirm Moses. And then he tells him, I'm going to give Aaron to you who will go along with you and, and encourage you and help be a, a mouthpiece for you and speak for you. And, and after all of this, Moses finally relents. And the text tells us that he puts his wife and his two sons on donkeys and they head off to Egypt to fulfill God's purpose for his life. Every time you see a flame, every time you see fire, I want you to think about the presence of God. Every time you see fire, every time you see a flame, I want you to think about God's presence with you, fulfilling his purpose through you. Every time you see a flame, I want you to think about God's, God with you, fulfilling his purpose through you. Fire represents God's presence. In fact, later in the story, when Moses is going through the desert with the Israelites, the fire of God would lead them by day. That was his presence with them, leading them, going forth before them. When you see fire, I want you to think of God's presence, God with us, fulfilling his purpose through us. Last week, you learned that that you were washed from your past. Today, the fire tells you God's presence is with you, fulfilling his purpose through you. There were some lessons learned by Moses through the fire, through this period of testing. And I want just to talk about that for a moment. I want us to realize what God is doing in the desert place. The first one is this. God doesn't waste anything in our lives if we give ourselves to him. He doesn't waste anything in our lives. If we give ourselves to him, nothing you ever do is beyond the capacity for God to use you. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 28, we know in all things that God 
works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. When you make a mistake, God says, I can fit that into my plan too. I can use it for good. The promise is not for everyone. It's not for those who are running away from God or rebelling against God or, or, or not pursuing him or loving him. It's for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, who are pursuing him, have their eyes on him. And God is saying, everything in your life, I can bring good out of that. I can use that too. I can fit it into my plan. God will take it all, past, present, future, and use it. For good. And we need to believe that because he's able. That means you can relax. You don't have to, you can stop worrying about being perfect. Doing everything just right. God can use you. You can serve Jesus in confidence and joy. Knowing God will work everything in your life and in your ministry for his plan, for his purpose, for good. And that's the good news. God uses it all. Even our darkest seasons in life that shape us and help us become the version of ourselves that God wants us to become, that we would never learn on our own, but we learn it in the wilderness. It's a process that's just baked into the way that God does things. It's ordained in us. There's, there's just no shortcut for this. That in those places, the depths of the wilderness, that's where we learn some of life's most important lessons is in those hard places that we don't want to go. Ben Kachiris, uh, minister of Maryland, said it this way. He said, we wish that the Christian life was like an instant frozen dinner. That's, that's what we wish. We could throw it in the microwave and it just comes out instantly ready to be used. That's what we wish life was like, but it's just not. We, we want the rich, the good, the beautiful, the depth, the maturity, the strength, the wisdom, the joy. We want to arrive in the promised land of success, and we want to arrive instantly and quickly, immediately. But that's not how it works. You've got to go through the wilderness. You've got to go through the desert before you get to the promised land. It doesn't happen instantly. There's things we have to learn as we go through the wilderness so that we can enter into the promised land and be useful for God. It's just baked into the way God works in our lives. And every one of us goes through wilderness times of fatigue and discouragement and failure and tears. And it's in those places that we are learning some of life's most important lessons. One of those, yes, is that God doesn't waste anything in our lives when we give our lives to him. He doesn't waste it. He uses it. He can bring incredible beauty out of it. And I'll tell you one more thing that God does in the desert in that period of time. God uses the barren seasons to teach us to patiently trust him. He uses those barren, dry, desert seasons of our life to teach us to patiently trust him. He uses it. He has a school. God has a school. And it's not usually the school of your choice. It's not the school that you were really wanting to go to. Maybe you feel like you didn't apply for this school. But it's the one you find yourself in where he teaches us. You can spend days there. You can spend months there. You can spend years there. Or like Moses, you can be 40 years there. That's a long time to be in school, 40 years. Some of you are like, hey, that's the plan I'm on, 40-year plan. I think in some ways we're all on that plan, the 40-year plan of school and preparation. The Hebrew word for desert is midbar, which is from debar, which means to speak. When we're in a desert place, 
God speaks to us in ways that we can't hear anywhere else. He teaches us things that we're not going to learn anywhere else. It strips us of some of the comfortable things, the distracting things, so that we can hear the voice of God. And it took Moses going into the desert, the barren place, where he could encounter God and be ready to listen and to hear him. And think of the contrast of this school in the wilderness compared to the school that Moses spent the first 40 years of his life in there in Egypt, the Oxford of Egypt, learning hieroglyphics, this incredible, complicated technical language, learning science and literature and military tactics and eating the finest foods, living in a lap of luxury and comfort. That was the school that he was in. But the school he needed was in the wilderness. 40 years there, living with his in-laws in the middle of nowhere, doesn't even own his own sheep, watching someone else's sheep and trying to feed them through the wilderness and through the sand and through the rough. And what he learns in that experience is that nothing is wasted when God's in it. That when we're in that weight of preparation and we learn to patiently trust him, he's going to do something good in our life. It's some of the best training of all. Ben Kachiris says, think of the thing. He goes, think of the thing that you hate most in your life. What is that right now? Think of the thing that you hate the most in your life. Whatever that thing is, would you believe that God wants to use it? Maybe even redeem it? Maybe even let it be used by Him, for Him, for you, for others, once it's surrendered to Him? Think about the thing that you hate the most. Do you believe God can use that? In the wilderness school, God is teaching us patience and trust. And some of those lessons that we learn, it's only there when everything is stripped away and removed. And sometimes we can, we can begin to see God more clearly. The fact is, for each and every one of you, there's just a lot of junk in your life and all of our problems and all the things that happen to us. And, and whenever we go through life, we just have all of this stuff, this brokenness in our life, the past mistakes, hurts, wounds, it, it's all there. And this is what life looks like when it's in turmoil. Sometimes it takes a wilderness. It takes a place when, when things go still. Where some of those things in our life, those impurities and the brokenness and the, the mistakes and everything else can just begin to settle. And all the murkiness of, of life can begin to clear up a little. And we begin to see God a little more clear for who he really is and that's when we're more ready to be used by him for his purposes. We need him to help remove these things that are holding us back and keeping us from being who God wants us to be. Look, we all end up in the wilderness for different reasons. It really doesn't matter how or why you got there. That, that's not the issue. The question is this, who do you turn to when you're there? We spend most of our life thinking about what is the purpose of my life. Maybe a better question would be, who is the purpose of my life? It's really not about the what as much as it is about the who. Instead of asking, what is your purpose in life? Ask, who is your purpose in life? As you pursue him, as you follow him, you will find that you are 
in a journey, in a walk with him, and he's using you for his purposes, which far exceed anything you could possibly imagine. You think, well, how do I know his purpose for me? What do I do? Just one step at a time. God's word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It's not the spotlight shooting 20 miles out there. It's just this step. Okay, God. Okay, God. Yes, Lord. Until you get to that point where one day you just, you look around and you look back and you're like, wow, look what God did in me, through me. You find yourself in that place. God had to redirect Moses' thoughts back to him. Instead of looking to himself, Moses needed to look to God. Instead of asking God to join him, Moses needed to join God. Instead of running from his problems, Moses learned that God wants to deliver you through your problems so that he can use your problems for his glory. Not always save you from them, but through them. You, you were saved. You were washed. By God's grace, a gift to you through your faith, your belief, your trust in Jesus. You, it says, not by works so you may not boast. We're not saved by what we do. We don't earn our salvation. You were saved so you can do good works. It says, for you are God's workmanship, creating Christ Jesus, do good works. This is Ephesians 2. We're saved to do them for them, not by them. You're saved for good works because God has a purpose to fulfill through you. He's not done with you. He's not finished with you. Quit trying to take yourself out of the play. Quit trying to remove, take yourself out of the game. Why would you remove the jersey when the game is still in progress? It's still in process. We're, we're moving the ball down the field. And so God's going to carry out his plan. He will do it. And he will do it with or without you, whether you're interested or not. Think Pharaoh. God still fulfilled his plan, even though Pharaoh had no interest in being a part of the plan. He will go around you. He will go over you. But the will of God is that he would work in you and through you. To accomplish his good purpose. And if he wants to do that, it delights him to do so, then that means you have a purpose for this life. In spite of your past mistakes. In spite of your weaknesses. And so when God calls you, when he calls you, when he calls out to you, and he has called out to you, your response, I think Moses' response was a great one. Here I am. Here I am. What Moses did next was the problem. He started well, he just didn't finish well. You know who did finish well? Isaiah the prophet, when God called him. Isaiah started off the same way. When he encountered the presence of God and was full of dread and fear, just like Moses. He said, here I am. Those next two words. It's hard to say. It's scary to say. It's frightening to say. It forces you to take your eyes off yourself and put them on him. It forces you to let go of your past and step forward in your future. It forces you to not disqualify yourself from this race, but instead to say, God, you can use me. It's these next two words that might be the two words that you have been holding back, holding on to. Today you need to release them to the Lord. Send me. Here I am. Send me. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. He wants to use you. He wants to work in you 
and through you for his glory and his purpose. So Lord, I I thank you. I thank you, God, for your forgiveness. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for healing. Thank you for transformation. Lord, thank you for pursuing us and, and not giving up on us. Thank you for giving us more opportunity and for inviting us into a relationship with you and, and to serve alongside of you and to work in us and through us. What a privilege. Lord, I pray that we would see today that we've been delivered for your purposes in our life. And I pray that we would align our hearts and our will and our effort and our energy with you. God, you do more than we can ask or imagine. You're able to deliver us for higher purposes, for greater things, greater things than we could ever do in and of ourselves. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us to lift our eyes to see that, open our eyes to that as we see you for who you really are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we remain in our seats today, let's just take a moment. Let's express our hearts to the Lord through song as we sing together. Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.